We are in Genesis 24. So my goal is for us to finish 24 and maybe, just maybe start 25. Boy can dream. Um, And it's taken us quite a while to get through chapter 24 because it's the longest chapter of of Genesis. Um, And it's a quite tedious story, right? Um, it's, it, it purposely takes forever. Um, and that's, that's typical of ancient writing. And uh, remember that the story is written in a chiastic way. So it starts out in Canaan, in Abraham's household. It moves to the Mediterranean uh, in, in uh, Rebekah's household, his brother, her brother Laban and dad, Bethuel. Um, and then it returns back in um, Canaan. And we are finishing up the scene in Aram, or the Mediterranean, and all that. So, um, so what you have so far is Abraham sends his servant over to find his son, his promised son Isaac, uh, a wife. Right? That is an unusual way for us doing it now. Um, I made the joke recently uh, that uh, there's a friend of ours. I think they got his son roughly Vangel's age. We need to go over and have a talk about arranging that marriage, right? And of course, my daughter is, you know, boys are terrible. I give her six months. And, and you know, and she, she just can't stand that idea. That is a terrible, terrible idea. Uh, but this was more typical here. So what you get in chapter 24 is a love story. Right. And so Rebecca has shown the sort of person that she is. She's very generous to a stranger um, and the stranger returns with great generosity to her uh, and is and he just got the agreement from Rebecca's father and brother to allow her to leave her home to go be married to Isaac, a man she has never met. Can, Can you imagine that? Would you want to marry a man you've never met or a woman you've never met? Now, we have game shows where we do that, right? Uh, Or reality TV, I think we do that. Uh, But for the most part, uh, that's entertainment, right? We would never do that in real life, right? Uh, But this was not uncommon at this time. So we want to pick up where we left off, uh, starting in verse 54. And Rebecca now is going to leave to get married. So pick up there, verse, verse 54. He uh, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, that you may become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now what a, what a story, isn't it? I mean, talk about a terrible wedding. Right. I mean, think about it, ladies. You're all excited. I'm going to get married. Right. Isn't isn't that that, that, that's the feeling you want? I'm going to get married. And then you wake up next morning like, okay, you need to leave your parents forever and ever and ever and ever. Right. Now, give 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 me a week. You know, nope. Now. Get right. I mean, just just it's, it's, it's a weird story for us in the 21st century. Well, her the speed of her departure, to be fair, is unusual in the ancient Near Eastern culture. They asked for 10 days. That certainly isn't out of out of the uh, question there. Um, and what you would have in these 10 days is a, a time of customary rituals and ceremonies and, and all that. And, and it allows her to have a proper goodbye, 
right? And I think that makes sense, right? That, uh, remember that what you have here is literally, uh, she is leaving father and mother be joined to her husband. And this is a permanent leaving. Um, and so um, no wonder they, they want 10 days. You, you would do something like this, right? I, I've, told, I've told this story before. Um, you know, my wife's family, you've heard me say a thousand times, very tight. I actually called my wife because I, I got arranged something in Grant County. And I called her and said, when are you going to your parents next? Right, because I know there's a date on the calendar, surely. Now, they've all got COVID, so that's, you know, sometime in the future. And said, well, I was just talking to my mother, and we were talking back and forth about trying to find dates. Like, surprise, surprise, right? Well, that's not my family. You know, mom and dad don't look like son. You know, you've not been over the house for a while. When are you going to come over? They don't do that. You know, we're always welcome over there. We see them frequently. But they're not, that's just not the way we roll. Well, my brother, as you all know, lives in Kansas. And a few years ago, I hadn't seen him in at least 18 months. Uh, and so he was over the house. We went down uh, to Wynton to see him. And uh, I knew that this day was going to be the last time I see him for at least a year, maybe even more. And he stood up. He said, well, I got to go to a friend's house, go hang out for a little bit. I haven't seen. It's good seeing y'all. And he walked out the door. We all said, all right, see you, man. Good seeing you. See you next time. Call me if you need something. I don't know. And that was it. There was no hugs and kissing and tears. There was none of that, right? My wife didn't have to go wait out in the car while I said goodbye for 20 minutes to one person. You don't have to do any of that, right? Like she makes me do. Well, I had joked about it weeks later because my wife is not one to just bring stuff up and just, I can't believe, right? It's not her. So when I brought it up, you could tell she's been waiting. She goes, I just couldn't believe you did that. I mean, I wanted to go up and give him a hug, and he's, he's, he's not my brother, right? I'm like, how can you all just, just let him leave the house like that? I'm like, easy. He's got legs, right? I mean, what do you want from me, right? It's not that I don't love the guy. It's not that I don't care for him. It's not that I'm sad to see him go. I mean, I wish he would move closer. When we, I think Nashville's probably as close as he'll, he'll ever get. Um, but, you know, it's just not the way we are. However, if... if if this was going to be the last time I got to see my loved one, yeah, we would take more time and we, we would, you know, uh, do, do all this stuff. And, and he, the, she is robbed of that. One theory of why that is, the text doesn't tell us, is the haste of the man is probably tied to the fading health of Abraham. Uh, perhaps he wants to get back as fast as he can so that Abraham can see God fulfilling his promise of a line. That's, that's a theory. Now, again, the text doesn't say he is just in a hurry. Regardless, um, Rebecca leaves with a dowry, which includes a nurse and other women. Um, I've, I'm reading through a biography of Henry VII. I'm, I'm, Henry VIII, we all know him, uh, but his dad was, is the, the, the beginner of, of the Tudor family. And um, Henry VIII, oh, I'm sorry, Henry VII's firstborn son, Arthur, yes, named after King Arthur, he was supposed to bring Camelot, uh, was married to Catherine of Aragon, a Spanish princess. And shortly after they get married, uh, Arthur, Prince Arthur dies unexpectedly of the sweating uh, sickness, it was called. And uh, that, that creates a lot of problems. Well, nevertheless, when Catherine came over to England, she has with her an entourage of servants. Um, and, and they had to prearrange um, you know, how all that was going to work, who was going to be in the household of the future queen, right? So it's not unusual that this, this, this would have happened. We, it's always really been that way. I guess now when a husband and wife get married, um, you, you have to negotiate 
how much of your stuff is going to is going to you know be in right um my wife lived in our apartment a month before i, I moved in right and um and i don't recommend that she had a month of uninterrupted time to get that apartment the way she wanted it before I came in, right? And I remember like the week before our wedding, I was starting to bring stuff into the apartment, you know, and 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 then she would just put it where she thought it needed to go. I remember I took uh, some dress shoes with me. You know, I was on my way to class uh, coming from the guy's apartment. I had like dress shoes and some other stuff. I'm like, I'm not going to need these. We're getting married Saturday. We're, I'm, you know, we'll be on our honeymoon on Sunday, you know. And, and it took me weeks to find those things, right? So, um, you know, so I, don't, I tell young couples, no, 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 no. Uh, the groom needs to be the one getting the house ready. That's what I think. No, not, not at all. Actually, the way we did was probably the better, better way, more peaceful way. She had her way and I had no say. Um, but boy, that, that probably came out bad, didn't it? Oh, well, you're going to tell her I said it anyways. And, uh, so, uh, now her, her, uh, nurse here is, is likely the woman who practically raised her, uh, and has been with her for, uh, from, from the very beginning. And her burial is actually recorded in the Bible. So she dies in chapter 35. We won't get there until next year, uh, if we're lucky. And it says her nurse uh, named Deborah, died and was buried under an oak in Bethel. Let me just, just show you this because it'll be forever before we get there. When you see a tree in Genesis, you, know, you, you should make note of that, right? Uh, and we've traced the theme of trees throughout it. You cannot plant a tree unless there's a source of water and growth, right? That's why if you're out in the desert, you see a row of trees, you need to know they are near bodies of water. So notice in the wilderness, you have, you have fruit, you have trees, you have life. And it's in a place called Bethel. It's the house of God. So you, it's a place of life. It's a garden, like the Garden of Eden. But yet it's a burial ground there. It's a place of death. Right? It's, I, you can take it or leave it, whatever it is. Um, so what, what they end up doing, since they can't do all that they would normally do for, um, for Rebecca, they do leave her with a blessing. And maybe sometime we'll do a, a study of the word blessing. Uh, blessing is introduced in Genesis in connection to being fruitful and multiply. Uh, and so the word blessing is tied to the idea of, of well-being. So yes, being fruitful, having a lot of kids is part of it. That's what this blessing is. But it's also bigger than that. So uh, when we say bless you, right, or bless your heart or oh, bless your little heart, right? Uh, sometimes we use it as a bad thing, right? Oh, bless your heart. He tries, right? But as a general rule, it, it means, you know, may, may goodness come upon you. May you be fruitful, right? Um, and you, you get that here. So the family bless her and say, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. May your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Now, we need to know these sort of blessings were typical at this time. Uh, to give you an example of Ruth 4, all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the, the woman, this is Ruth, uh, who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, uh, of course, who are the uh, 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 daughters of Laban, Rebecca's brother. So Rachel and Leah is Rebecca's nieces who will marry her son. We'll come to that next year. Who together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in the Ephrathah, that's Bethlehem. We looked at this uh, over Christmas. And be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore the Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So, so you see, may, may your house be fruitful and multiply. 
May it be blessed, not just with children, though that is, that is one of the obvious ways that, that is applied, but just in general. I mean, we do the same thing. Chances are when you got married, you got something to hang on your wall that was some sort of blessing. You know, uh, may God bless this house or something. I don't know, something. And you probably have something on your wall now, some saying you like, right, um, that, 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 that is a blessing upon you, your marriage, your house, all that sort of stuff. I thought when we got married... All the wedding stuff, you know, was going to stay there. And then the second, I think I've told you this before, the second she was pregnant, one by one, it all disappeared. Right? So we had to put up the ultrasound picture. And then we had to put up the first pictures. And then we had to put up a picture, you know, with Elijah with grandma and grandpa and mama and papa and all this. Like, you wouldn't even know we had a wedding at this point. Um, I've been replaced by... By the kids. Nevertheless, thousands of ten thousands. Um, again, to, to be fruitful. Uh, the word ten is an interesting word. It shares the consonants with the word Rebecca. It's a play on words. You remember in Hebrew, there's no vowels. And so a lot of your words are three letters, they're consonants. And so if you take Rebecca and strip it down to its consonants and the word 10, they share the same consonants. So it's a play on words. So may Rebecca be blessed with. Rebecca thousands, if you want to, with 10,000. Gates of him who hate him. That's just a weird thing. But it, it reminds, it takes us back to Genesis 22. Uh, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sands on the seashore. And your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies. Right? So, so I'll, I'll bless you with longevity. I'll bless you with a large family. And I'll bless you with land and influence. Right? Um, and so, so the blessing given to Rebekah matches the one given to Abraham and others like him in chapter uh, 22. So as a result of this blessing, the covenantal promises of God move to the next generation. All this is why the story slows down because it wants to emphasize that point. The story of Abraham is now fading into the story of Isaac and all those blessings are applied to him. And so you'll see in the story of Isaac when we get there next year is a repetition of the stories. Um, Isaac will commit some of the same sins as, as Abraham. The blessings given to Abraham would then be given to Isaac, right? It's, it's in many ways the same story retold in Isaac and later in Jacob. Well, starting in verse 62, they are back in Canaan. So, so Abraham's servant had returns with a successful journey. Rebekah is with him. And, and notice verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from Behir Lahad Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. You remember him? I forgot all about him in the story, right? I mean, he, he, it's, it's been Abraham and his servant. Now, they've talked about Isaac. But he's not been in the story. And remember, the last time we saw Isaac, this is going to play a part in the story. Last time we saw Isaac, he was burying his mother. So now, as, as they return, it says, you need to know where Isaac is. He's in this land, and the land is called Be'er Lahar'oi, which means the well of the living one who sees me. And we've, we've seen this well before. This well was named... Um, after the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar and Ishmael. Um, all the way back in Genesis 16, you remember that um, in a reversal of the Exodus story, a Israelite had enslaved an Egyptian and then cast them out where, they, where she had to wander in the wilderness. And you remember that in the middle of that, God encounters her and encounters her at a well. 
right? It's the, it's the reverse of the Exodus story. In the Exodus story, an Egyptian enslaves Jews who then cast them out, not really of his free will, but nevertheless cast him out, and they then wander in the wilderness where they encounter God at a spring, at a well. Right? You remember the bitter water is then followed by the, the water from the rock uh, that, that Moses does, right? It's, 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 it's amazing how the, how the Bible is written. Well, uh, when Hagar has this encounter, they named this well. And, and so Isaac now has uh, taken ownership of this well. And so there's real irony there, isn't it? The place of refuge for Hagar has become a home for Isaac. So, so where God rescued Ishmael and, and Hagar, he now provides for Isaac and Rebekah. Yeah. Um, and so he, what we have then is that Isaac has now left home. He's left mother and a father, and by the end of the story, he will be joined to his wife. All right. And verse 63 is interesting. Um, Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. Uh, does anyone have a different translation for the word meditate? Interesting what you King Jamers or NIV, uh, Don, if you got message maybe. Uh, what you have there in chapter 25, 63. Do you want to have anything other than meditate? All, it's all meditate. Well, the reason I ask is um, this Hebrew word, it's only found here in Genesis 25. You remember that Hebrew, ancient Hebrew is a dead language. Now there's modern Hebrew. It's a little different, but obviously very similar. Um, and so there are some words we don't have a full understanding of what the word means. And when it's only used once, that makes it more difficult to translate. So there's some words we transliterate in the Bible, like um, uh, Nephilim in Genesis 6. And they show up in Numbers and other places. Like, like to translate that's really difficult. The overcomers, the overpowers, or something like that. Um, Leviathan, behemoth, transliterations. Um, so so it's, it's hard to, to translate some words. Um, and there's a lot of debate over the exact meaning of those words. Um, this is one of those. So we think we have an idea what this word means, but its full range is limited. Um, and so meditate seems like a um, pretty common translation that, that we have here. Now notice he's meditating in the field toward evening. And notice this, he lifted up his eyes and saw. Does that sound familiar? It's, it's exactly what Lot did Abraham. You remember in uh, Genesis, Genesis 13, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. What is Lot looking for? He's looking for a retelling of the story of creation. If I go there, there's, there is a garden, and I could be the new Adam. What happens to Lot? He doesn't find a garden, he finds a wilderness of sin. By the end of the story, he has two Eves, and they're his daughters. Right, so Adam and Eve had two sons, three, but two sons. And out of that comes chaos and brokenness. From Lot, he has two daughters, and out of that comes chaos and brokenness. With generational uh, problems, the Ammonites and the Moabites come from Lot and his two daughters. Right? So, so we see this phrase now. Here's Isaac out in the field, and he lifts up his eyes, and he sees. Right. Now, that word see is important because you remember that, that Eve saw that the fruit was good. 
Right? And we, we've seen this in, in other places. Now, Lot chose the, uh, uh, the, the Jordan Valley out of his own wisdom. He lifted up his eyes and he saw what looked like the Garden of Eden. So, that's, so he chose it. He chose it for himself. Here, Isaac is looking up and seeing God's blessings. And so instead of taking for himself what he sees, he receives what, what, he, what he sees from God, right? So, so it's an inverse of, of Lot. Um, and by the way, uh, Rebecca is described as doing the same thing, verse uh, 64. Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw, she said, ooh la la, right? So, so, so you have then, we could say love at first sight. I don't know that's the case or all. Well, that's just a modern reference. So, so you see both parties, what you have now is a new Adam and Isaac and a new Eve in Rebecca. They lift up their eyes and they see each other. And what they have and what they find is God's wisdom, God's blessing. Because this whole story has been about God's providential care for Abraham and his progeny. So, so you remember the servant goes, and he has no idea where to begin. So he goes to a well because it's where people hang out. And he says, God, bless me with this endeavor. Provide for my servant's son a wife. And, and while he's praying that, Rebecca is taking care of his camels. And now that Rebecca comes, you can imagine she's getting really nervous, right? She's like the princess in Shrek, right? She's wanting to know all the details about her master. And Shrek makes all the joke like, well, you can say he's in high stature, right? Because he's, he's a little guy, right? And, and there are those who look up to him. You know, they're making all the short jokes that uh, we've made to my father. And, and um, well, you can imagine that the servant's doing that. Oh, you're going to love Isaac. He's a really nice guy and all that sort of stuff. And so when he looks out, he says, that is a beautiful woman. I hope God is providing me with her. He lifts up his eyes and he sees God's blessings. And Rebecca returns. She, she lifts up her eyes and does the same thing. Um, and so, verse 64, she dismounts. She, uh, uh, she saw Isaac. She dismounts from the camel. Now, this was common courtesy at this time. Um, I think the closest thing we have is, let's say you're sitting down somewhere and someone comes to introduce themselves to you. It's fairly common courtesy to stand up to shake their hand, right? You don't have to. It's common courtesy. In fact, if, if you're the one standing up and they stand up, you're like, oh, oh stay seated, right? That's common courtesy, right? I mean, you know they're going to stand up. And you know you're going to say you should stay seated down. You both ignore each other and you greet each other. That's way common courtesy works, right? You, you get this. So, so uh, there's other examples of this in the Bible. Um, uh, uh, Abigail sees David and she dismounts from the horse. Uh, and then in the story of Naaman, you see the same thing. This is a common courtesy um, in the ancient Near Eastern world. Um, and so uh, here they, they, they meet, right? Here you go, ladies, the, the part you've been waiting for. And, and it's worth the wait, isn't it? We've been waiting and waiting this whole love story. And finally, the new Adam meets the new Eve. And you remember that when God created Eve, Isaac o or Adam opens his eyes and he writes a love poem. Uh, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones, I will call her woman. In other words, she is beautiful and she's better than me. Right? She, she is a helpmate. And so you're getting something similar here, here with Isaac. He is stunned by the blessing of God uh, and sees that she is better than anything he, he could have ever have, have imagined. She dismounts, and in verse 64, uh, I'm sorry, 65, she said to the servant, who's that guy, right? 
right? I, I bet when you met your spouse at some point, you asked something like that. I, I've told you this before, and I met Amanda. Um, I was, uh, you know, a high schooler in our youth group, the VBS, and our youth pastor, who uh, we got to hang out with him yesterday, or I did, and uh, he asked, you know, these, these new people that came to visit today, you know, what do you think about so-and-so? And he came to Amanda. He said, what do you think about, about the Amanda girl? And I, I'm, you know, like, like this, I can answer any question, don't ask me about her sort of stage, right? And like, uh, she seemed nice. Next question, right? Yeah, and they're like, who is that girl, right? I need her number, and, and I, 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 need, I need to get more information on her. But one wonders if she's thinking, you know, hubba hubba, uh, please let him be the one I am pledged to, right? Uh, it's, it's just, who is that man walking in the field to meet us, right? And you can kind of see Isaac, you know, doing all this, you know, getting it ready to go, you know, uh, Finally discovered a mirror, right? Uh, it's, it's amazing what, what women will do to men, right? How, how, how it just changes men. I've, I've told this a thousand times. The only time you heard a vacuum cleaner in the men's dorm at boys is when twice a semester we had open dorms. The women would all come at once um, and, and come up in the men's dorms. And then an hour later, the men went to theirs. You would never hear a vacuum cleaner except that Monday. You wouldn't hear it the day before because you had to fill out a sheet. I need the vacuum cleaner from this time to that time. And, and you had better hope you got up early to do it because you're not going to get the vacuum cleaner, right? I had a girlfriend that was at the University of Louisville, so I, I didn't worry about any of that. My room stayed fairly clean, um, at least compared to my next door neighbor who, my goodness, I think he took every drawer and just did that and just left it there. And he couldn't tell what was clean and dirty. I mean, it was, it was wild. He would have to walk <laughs> kicking through stuff. You can see where, where his legs had, had, had led him and Anyway, so, um, so she, she is impressed with this guy. Verse 65, she has the veil, right? Um, uh, she took her veil and covered herself. The veil is, is, it's been a long imagery. We still have it today. Uh, it was customary for women to wear a veil in the presence of men, the ancient Near Eastern culture. It also, uh, they would wear it on special occasions like a wedding and to signal that she is already betrothed. So this is almost, almost like an engagement ring, right? Um, and yeah, there's a ring in her nose. If you have any questions about the ring in her nose, our beloved deacon Mark would love to answer everything. And I don't know how biblically faithful it would be, but it'd be funny what comes out of his mouth, right? Um, so there you go. Right? You, you set me up. I'm just going to throw it back, back at you. Uh, but she, she has the veil. And you can see how excited she is. Oh, this must be the guy. Whoop, right? And, uh, and all that. So, and then verse 66, 67, we get the marriage, the wedding, right? This is, this is the part we've been waiting for. The servant told Isaac all the things he had done, right? And what, a, what an exciting story that is, right? Every parent loves to tell their kids and to gross them out how they met. We all do, right? And, and our friends and relatives, we love to tell the story how, how, how it is that, that we met, and that's what he does here. Then Isaac, verse 67, brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, took Rebekah. She became his wife. He loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. There is so much there in verse 67. It is massive what is there in verse 67. There is no ceremony described. Right, men? Amen. Right? Right? No wedding described. Think about how much money he is saving. He didn't have to invite the in-laws, right? Didn't have to entertain them for the whole weekend. Oh, and as the, as, as the minister, there was no uh, 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 rehearsal, right? 
and no one to cater it for the dinner afterwards. No one wants to go to that thing, but you have to because that's custom. And rehearsals are awful, right? And everyone gets worked up. And as the ministry, you have to encourage everyone, don't worry, to work out fine. You may need to get rid of three of your cousins, but everything will work out just fine, right? None of that is happening here. Yes, right? She didn't wake up early that morning trying to decide because she just changed her mind at three o'clock in the morning when she couldn't sleep on the eve of her wedding, what kind of hair she had. She had decided for six months it was gonna be this, but now all of a sudden she's having second thoughts because, because her sister said something and she looked at one other wedding magazine and she can't decide and she's all stressed out and everyone keeps texting her on her wedding day with expectations and questions, right? All of that is gone. There you go, man. It is possible to have a long time marriage without a wedding, right? Isn't that what you've been looking for? I'm, I'm kidding about all that. Um, but their union is almost immediate. This just boggles the mind to us, but it does show that love is possible without the Hollywood stuff in it. Right? You can love anyone if you love Jesus the most. Right? So whenever people file for divorce for irreconcilable uh, reasons, what you have is a, ref, a, a, a refuting of the gospel. These are two people who have never met each other. Somehow their marriage can work. Yes, because God is involved, obviously. Their marriage can work. And it's not the only prearranged wedding where the marriage works. I mentioned Henry VII. He and Elizabeth, that was a political wedding. Uh, she was of the House of York. He's of the House of Lancaster. And they had to end the Civil War. And so they got married and they loved each other to death. When Elizabeth died in childbirth, he, uh, Henry VII was almost consolable for a long time, and the kingdom suffered as a result. Many thought he was going to die from grief. That was a arranged marriage, a politically arranged marriage. Martin Luther, Katie Von Bora, Martin Luther said, I didn't marry for love. I married to, to make the Pope angry. And then they were inseparable after a while. So, so my encouragement to you is, is, yes, you and I have been blessed that we were able to meet our spouse right before the wedding. We got to know them. We got to ask all those questions that you, you should ask and the process you should go through, including a wedding. I know I was making jokes earlier. But there's no reason why, by the gospel, we cannot make things work. Um, and so, so they loved each other. And they go into Sarah's tent. And there's a lot of debate because it's weird to us. Um, why would he take his wife to his mother's tent and not his own? That, that's the question. Most agree this is a symbolic act. Remember, the whole point of this chapter is to say the promises of God given to Abraham are now going to the promised son of Abraham, Isaac. So there may be some symbolism here. With Sarah's death, the matriarch of the family has now passed from Sarah to Rebekah. And what an incredible responsibility that is for her. She's immediately thrown into the role of matriarch. And she never got to meet Sarah. Is just now probably learning about the promises of God and expectations upon her. So the symbolism is, is there, right? They, they first come together in Sarah's tent. Uh, so here you have a grieving son who is getting married. And, and the, 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 the symbolism of the transition from one generation to another is significant. And you'll notice there in verse 67 that Isaac loved Rebekah. This is only the second time this word, this exact word is used in the Bible. The first one is strikingly in regards to Isaac prior to his uh, almost execution. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. And now it is applied uh, here. Um, and I want to highlight this. Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This is the first time we are given any clear indication of Isaac suffering the loss of his mother. 
And it's, it's wait, and the author waits to tell us in the context of his marriage night, his wedding night. I don't think that's an accident. Sarah had died three years prior to this moment. And we've not heard a word about Isaac's story in that process of grief. And it indicates he's been grieving for three years. I think some of you can, can relate to that. Just the ongoing suffering of losing a loved one just continues to be too much. And yet, this moment changes that. And what is the moment? He is one with his bride. Both have left father and mother's house, as we're told in Genesis 1 and 2. And the two have become one flesh. And the benefit of this is comfort. We're going to save this for Simbus because I'm not going to throw it up here. Um, but I could. Um, we were getting to the intimacy part of Simbus and uh, this upcoming Sunday. And I have a slide. It, it gives six purposes, biblical purposes for intimacy. Some of them are quite obviously obvious, having children uh, and, and stuff like that. One, in, But in Genesis, you get a variety of these. One is knowledge. Adam knew his wife. Cain knew his wife. Noah knew his wife, right? And so, so there's a knowledge there that is unique between husband and wife that no one else has, right? And an intimacy is, is the picture of that. Another is unity, right? Um, you, you, you see this, obviously, with Adam and Eve. The two became one flesh, right? And you see that throughout all, all of the Bible. Another one is comfort. I don't know how often we've actually thought about that or, or, or really developed that in our churches. This is clearly a biblical principle, when the son of David and Bathsheba dies, you remember the story, right? David is in prayer. God, don't let him die. God, don't let him die. And he dies anyways. You remember what happens? He gets up, washes his face. And people are, are amazed. Like, we were afraid you'd be more in greed. In fact, we thought you'd become violent. There's application right there, isn't there? That we, we often respond with grief with violence and anger, and we cannot interpret anger without the grief if you want to help somebody. Um, that's neither here nor there. But then, then it tells us, and he says, well, why would I continue to grieve? I, um, I can't, uh, or he can't come to me, but I will go to him. I believe he's talking about an afterlife there. Um, and, the, and the salvation of little ones, in, in my opinion. But then it says, and David and Bathsheba were together again. They comforted each other in love. I'm willing to bet virtually every couple here knows exactly what, that, what is meant by that. And it's right here in the text. Now, you need to note, Rebecca is not salvation for Isaac. That's the problem. We often think that in our grief, in our anger, in our frustration, that this relationship will fix me. And, and, and some of you may be tempted to think, well, I need to fix someone that I love. No, 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 no that's not what you have here. In this moment of grief, Rebecca provides a service that is deeper than she's got to have a bunch of kids so that the promise can continue. The gift of a spouse here is what is included is that of comfort. She is not the ultimate source of comfort, but is the means of God for comforts. So husband and wife have a responsibility, whether it's in this form of intimacy or some other way, to provide comfort for one another. It's right here in the text. Now, I was thinking about this also, uh, and then, then we can call it a day. We won't get to chapter 25. Abraham will have to die next week. Um, there is, 
If I were to ask you, what is the most important unelected office we have in, say, for the governors uh, uh, or, you know, the, the state or for the uh, national level or whatever, uh, or even in a church, what is the most important non-elected position in that area? I think we would all eventually agree it is the first lady. Right? It is the president's wife, the governor's wife, the preacher's wife, right? Um, why is that? No matter how secular and post-Christian we become, we understand there's perhaps no one more important to the president of the United States, love him or hate him, than his wife. There's no one more important for the governor, love him or hate him, red or blue, than his wife. He can surround himself with all kinds of gifted people, but there is no one that can replace a spouse. Same thing with, with any sort of minister, deacon, anyone. There's no one more important than, than that spouse. That's true for you too, isn't it? And that, that's a universal knowledge that we have. And you see it here in this text. Isaac has dedicated himself to building a, a house, getting land, working it. He's got servants. He's building wealth. He's doing all these things. But when his wife comes, he finds comfort. Finds comfort. Man, that's good news, isn't it? It's good news. And this is why you cannot undermine the family. You can't do it at the culture level. Okay, that's enough of my lecture on that. I think verse 67 is so good. There's so much there, so much there, and a lot of good application for us um, as couples. Okay, uh, I know Danny and them, I, I meant to call Danny today. I'll holler at him after service. Um, um, I usually pick on him, see if he has something he wants to add. You guys got anything you see in the text maybe we're missing? Well, y'all can just be quiet today. He didn't have to pay for a wedding because his dad already did. 